everyone. My name is Ona Majorana, and I'm a senior at Adelphi and an environmental science major in the STEP program. And here is my co-host. Hi, everybody. I'm Skyla Welsh. I am in my first semester at Adelphi getting my master's in art education. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about multimedia um, and its principles. So firstly, what exactly is multimedia? So multimedia is a combination of like words and pictures. So for example, you can have like an annotated illustration in a textbook or something really high tech like virtual reality. So multimedia is like just a very broad topic and it can range from a wide variety of different forms of media. But multimedia learning is a method of learning that's supposed to make it easy for students and it balances out narration and images and it betters the student's understanding and like remembering. And this is what Richard Mayer from the reading describes as the two major goals of learning, understanding and remembering. So Scala, do you agree with Mayer's definition of learning? I would say that I do agree with Mayer's definition. Um, his definition of learning encompasses remembering and understanding, like you said. And he goes into more detail by explaining that remembering involves recall and recognition, and understanding involves the ability to construct mental representation and transfer it to a new content. So this is what defines effective learning. I think, uh, I, again, I agree with it because the only way we know that we have learned something is by remembering it in our long-term memory and comprehending it enough to apply it in our lives and for us as future educators to be able to teach it. Yes, I completely agree. I think he definitely was spot on about those two major goals. So now we're going to go into the principle of multimedia learning. So our professor himself describes the picture of multimedia learning as information presented to students by words and pictures. So something like a slideshow with just words is not multimedia. So it's not going to be as effective which is why there's so many different types of like illustrations you can present when presenting like a PowerPoint or a slideshow that can make it easier for students to learn. So the six different types of illustrations that could be presented in multimedia are decorative learning, representational um, illustrations, organizational, relational, transformational, and interpretive. However, if you are planning on using multimedia for educational purposes like we are, decorative and representation illustrations are not really recommended. And we will get into that later with like another principle, but what types of illustrations do you think you would use like while you're teaching? That's a great question. So I think as an art teacher, personally, I would use organizational and transformational illustrations to teach my students. Organizational illustrations could be for teaching complementary colors, for example. So that'd be something that especially elementary school kids would learn. So I could do this by showing a diagram of color wheel and explain which colors are complementary and follow with an example of images of, let's say, a sports teams, for example, such as the Mets and how they use orange and blue to make logos pop. And also, transformational illustration could be used. I would use a video that may, that I made or that I found to show step-by-step -step processes on how to draw something. Let's say as simple as a house. Mm -hmm. And 
I could show my students by a video step-by-step step that I recorded before class or even pictures of step-by-step step how to draw a house. So I think that's what I would use personally for being an art teacher in my classroom. Yeah, that's great. I can totally see how those would work, especially transformational, like that step-by-step step progress process. Sorry. I think I would maybe use because I'm going to go for earth science. So maybe like transformational to just show like maybe the aging of something or the progress of something over time and maybe relational. Cause I feel like a lot of people can connect two and two together. That's what I kind of do. But overall, the main principle of multimedia is that words and visuals are working together. And these help you learn better than words alone, because instead of receiving this information from you, you just, your, oh, your visual audio channels, you receive the information from both. So the, the videos we're describing that we'll, we'll, we can receive information from audio and visual. And so if you receive it from both, it can help you learn even better because you're learning from like two different channels, if that makes sense. It's pretty interesting. But another principle we learned when it comes to multimedia is the coherence principle. So the coherence principle is the idea that some forms of media can actually distract students from learning, which is like what we were talking about before with um, decorative learning and representational illustrations. Um, so this can distract them and certain images that are irrelevant to the lesson can actually take the focus away from the important stuff. So this can definitely relate back to like I was saying, the six different types of illustration. Do you have any comments yeah. on that? Oh yeah, um, you absolutely hit like the definitely the general idea of coherence principle and what that all encompasses. So I would just add to what you were saying was with the coherence principle, it states how removing interesting but irrelevant content, um, how it could, removing all that could help from distracting students, um, which is also demonstrated in the six types of illustration that you have been talking about and how decorative and representational are not effective mm -hmm. illustrations we learned this week um, from our professor. So I just wanna get into educational videos because that was mentioned and that is an example of negative, a negative version pertaining to both of these principles. I'm not sure if you ever heard of or ever your teachers ever used a brain pop when you were in school. Did yeah. you ever do that? Yeah, Tim and Moby. Yeah, Tim and Moby. <laughs> but I had a few uh, teachers that use that. And for anybody listening that doesn't know what that is, it's like short videos, like around five minutes of this robot and this kid named Toby kind of going through either explaining science things or history. But our teachers would use it to kind of grab our attention. And all they, although this is a fun way to learn. Maybe it wasn't as effective as I thought as a kid. I think some videos do have educational value and others could be distract distracting or even counterproductive. There's simply just a lot going on. So it should also be put in consideration what age or grade you are using these forms of multimedia on. Like for younger children, they get more distracted easily and they could just pay attention to the silly robot making noises in this video instead of like what Toby's explaining about, let's say the earth and the continents. Um, but maybe for middle schoolers, since they don't care as much about that silliness, 
they could take more away from an educational video and get more information from it. I think these videos are not effective after learning about multimedia this week, especially for meaningful learning, but they could be used to grab attention in the start of class, like your students sit down and you want them to pay attention. All right, here's this five minute video. This is what we're gonna be talking about and go from there. So I feel like it's up to the educator to carefully consider if it's gonna be beneficial to lessen that day. And I also wanna to add to this, um, going off of distractions, um, background music was mentioned by our professor this week while doing homework or studying. Mm -hmm. And I always listen to music, especially in college in the library to tune out everybody else. So maybe that took away from my studying and I didn't really realize it at the time. What do you think about background music while doing homework or studying or something like that? Me personally, I like, I can't have like any noise, but I also can't have silence. So I need like white noise. If You're I, like, have, yeah, like rain or something or like people talking in the background. But if I do like do music, I can't have like a song I know the words to because I'll just think of the song. But for the most part, I'm very particular when it comes to like doing my work. Like I have to be like in my room. And maybe like the air conditioners on or something like that. So personally, I don't play music while doing homework. But I know I saw a TikTok about people playing like classical music and it like helps them. But maybe I'll try that. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Instead of like listening to like pop music or Taylor Swift or something. Yeah, but I think he really summed up exactly what the principle is all about. Because even though, you know, it is multimedia, it's not as helpful and I like how you brought up like the ages too, because that does matter. And um, it's really up to the teacher if they want to just, you know, use it as like a little side thing or like teach the whole class with it. And they have to be, um, they have to make sure they're choosing the right thing. But now we're going to look, look at the um, redundancy principle. So this principle is the idea that humans learn best with like videos or graphics and narration like over that, which I personally think as well. And an example can be like the videos we actually watched that the professor gave us, how he played clips while he was describing everything. I think that's really effective and it works for me because like when you're listening, what do you do? Like look up, like you, there's something to look at, which is nice. Um, and like images or videos were shown when the professor was describing things. So this principle also highlights that video, like narration and text can be overwhelming and are too much to take in through the visual channels. Like going back to what we were saying before, if you have video and then someone's speaking and then there's text to read what someone's speaking, that could be too much because that's two different visuals and like they're not balanced, if that makes sense. It's very, it's pretty cool actually. There's like science behind it that the channels have equilibrium, but this can um, happen if you do have text and narration and video. So do you agree that like that can be too much? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's a lot going on. It's a lot for the brain. I feel like um, all the studies, like if you listen to all the studies, we, me and Autumn learned a little bit about them this week, but mm -hmm. definitely, it's definitely interesting. I will say um, I am a little conflicted when it comes to this and I'll explain that. As educators, um, we don't really want our students to experience cognitive overload, which we're talking about, 
because you don't want like too much information to process. So we have to find the balance between making proper lessons plans and demonstrating without having too much text and images on the screen, like you just explained, which I totally agree with. The only reason I say I'm a little conflicted is because I find personally for me, I benefit from seeing like a very detailed, like, um, I don't know, something like a detailed image explaining mm -hmm. and then having the text underneath. I just, I think I benefit from that. Um, but I definitely see the controversy with the redundancy principle. So as long as we find that balance for our students, then we can use the illustrations for a meaningful learning. And our professor mentioned subtitles with this week's topic to me in autumn. And I thought that was funny because I cannot watch TV without subtitles. It is put on every single one of my TVs. And I always tell my boyfriend, I'm like, I can't hear without subtitles. That's so real. I'm like, so true. <laughs> I can't hear the TV show without the subtitles. And he's like, what are you talking about? But I think it just depends on what multimedia you're watching and what so this obviously tv is not as education based but i think it just depends for everybody what works and just finding that balance between using text and media but not overloading everybody yeah i think subtitles can help as well because like say you miss something you can just read it if that makes sense and yeah. i feel like Subtitles are good if it's like maybe at the bottom of the screen and like it's exactly what like, you know, is being said and the image isn't too complicated. So I feel like you're right. Like there's pros and cons about it. I can understand what they mean, though, by like different subtitle, different like audio, different video. It's like too much to comprehend. But subtitles, yeah, with the TV, I can totally understand that. Always need them. <laughs> But the final principle now we're going to move on to is the voice principle. So one of the main ideas of this principle is um, like pronunciation or like the accent of the audio, like a narrator. So you would never think, I personally did not think that the voice reading text would matter, but studies do show that students listening to a voice with a standard accent were more successful compared to a foreign accent. What are your thoughts and comments on this? I thought this was very interesting and it made, it was like very easy to, out of all the principles to understand, like to be like, yeah, that makes sense. And I think it just, it does, you don't really think about it mm -hmm. um, before, prior, but it's like that can really affect, um, especially attention grabbing. And I just want to add, we learned this week, uh, social agency theory which argues a more controversial tone in multimedia messages creates a social bond between the instructor and the learning learner, making it more likely that the learner will put in the effort to make a sense of content. And what I got from that is as instructors, we wanna make sure we have that bond with our students and basically in summary, just have their attention. Yeah. I feel if you have a monotone voice and you're just talking monotone and like boring, you're like, okay, I tuned out 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Or if you have an interesting teacher that's grabbing your attention, making sure like they saying interesting things, 
making their voice more upbeat it like grabs your attention yeah and I have like a small example of this that I was thinking about um I recently started substitute teaching the past year and like I have a full-time job so I only do it here and there for experience mm-hmm. but I've been in the elementary school lately and I've noticed the teachers that work there I call it the teacher voice yes in a class and I sub some art classes so you have changes throughout the day of what classes that you're not stuck with well not stuck but you don't have one mm-hmm. class all day so the teachers will walk them into the room and the way that they talk to the students first I'm not experienced so the way I talk to them and the teachers and their teacher voice I call it and the students really learn and you just gotta like especially like with different grades you have to learn what demographic you're with and how to talk to each student so I thought the voice principle was very interesting yeah while while you were talking about like a teacher having a boring voice I was thinking like for kids you really gotta be energetic and like have like different pitches of your voice so they can really pay attention um what about this is actually like a side note what about volume do you think volume matters definitely like if like I wouldn't want to scream at kids you know no you definitely don't want to be too loud but you don't want to be too quiet you need to be like a little above normal yeah I think so middle school let's say a lot of middle schoolers cannot stop talking yeah so you need to be a little louder than them but not super loud where you're like wow I can't even focus this teacher screaming at me yeah it's quiet where the kids are like what are you saying so I feel like having a little bit above average voice would be the best to like keep everybody listening to you for yeah, sure me too that's crazy how like there's so much that goes into it like to make it effective that like you don't even think of but through more research we were able to find some helpful tips that you would want to use in the classroom not just you know your accent or your volume or your pitch but regarding you know what you're showing the class so some of these tips could be be aware of your sound quality like we were saying not just what you're saying but the videos you may be playing you don't want you know a video so loud it sounds muffled use clear and concise sentences. So, you know, be clear with what you're saying, know what you want to say, and be aware of your visual quality. And you don't want, you know, any blurry photos that the kids aren't going to understand. Don't use too many colors in your presentation. Again, that can like overwhelm them. And you want something, you know, depending on what you're learning, for the most part, simple, not too simple, not too complicated, something that will definitely draw their attention and help them get that visual level. And finally, make sure your content is accessible to all students. So maybe you might need subtitles for your video and like, that's fine. You know, maybe you need, um, I remember in like fourth grade, my teacher had to use a microphone to talk to the class. So as long as you're accessible, like that I think is key. Like, so everyone can learn. And that's really the point of multimedia. So everyone can kind of learn through different ways, visual, audio. I just thought one thing to add about as you were talking, it kind of like reminded me. Yeah. About um going back to the voice thing a little bit and the examples you were just talking about kind of reminded me. If you have you were saying how um using subtitles in certain circumstances are beneficial because um where I 
substitute teach, there's a lot of Spanish speaking students that Spanish is their first language. So yeah. if you're playing games for the class and these students are learning English at the time and are not completely fluent and you have English subtitles, then that'll be easier for them to follow along. Yeah. Or Spanish is their first language then they get to read the English that they're learning and pay attention to the audio of the video um, of the video that might help them. I think everything's about balance, just figuring out what your students need. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Like definitely. I feel like take the beginning to know your students, know their like needs, know how they learn. And then I feel like you can go from there because everyone is different in the end. And I feel like you really have to know the first to build off on that and, find a great way to teach them. But before we end the podcast, you have any anything else you want to add? I feel like we hit it all and um, really brought up some good examples. And I feel like we learned a lot from these principles and me and you can definitely take away a lot from this week and use it for when we become teachers. And I hope everybody learned something today or something from our podcast. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you all. I definitely learned stuff from this week. But thank you all for listening. We definitely hope you enjoy. And yeah, we do hope you learn something from this and can use it as teachers. But thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you.